All right, well, we're in First Peter again. We began a, a study last week uh, in the first epistle that Peter wrote way back uh, around 60, probably 64 A.D., so mid-first century, just a little bit past that. And um, we, uh, we began that study yesterday, or last week, that is. And I want to begin reading what we covered last week with just the first two verses, and we're going to read down to verse 5 today, okay? So if you have your Bibles, you can join me here. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion on Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And let's pray. Our God, we are again reminded of the power of Christ, the power of the resurrection, the salvation that you've offered. And Lord, we pause even now to bless your name. We thank you, Lord, that we have the word of God today and we can open it here in this place and pray, Lord, it would go forth as you would teach us, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to prepare our hearts to receive it in obedience, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In this uh, message, I kind of have two aims here, and the first one is that I want you to understand how a person, or even maybe if you're sitting here, hopefully as you've made a decision to follow Christ, that how you have been begotten again or born again, that's the phrase that is used there, in uh, back there in the very first ver- or the verse three that we read and began here, and I also want to ask the question or pose the question. I guess does it matter now? You know what does it mean right now in the here and now? Because that's where we exist. Okay, we don't exist in the past. We don't exist in the future. In that sense, we're here. All right, and does it really matter about this whole idea of the new birth? And why was Peter writing about that? So those are the two primary questions. And really, we start off, and I have a word there highlighted, First uh, Peter 1.3. And here, Peter, he's done his introduction. Remember, he starts introducing himself as an apostle. And then he says who he's writing to. And he writes to those scattered Christians who are out, and he names the regions. And then he says they're those that are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. They're in Christ, and they have received Christ and, and are part of that. And we talked about that last week. But then he stops there and he breaks right out into a, in a doxology. Really, he says, blessed. And he kind of has a little hallelujah moment, you know, stops right there. And what he's getting ready to do is to show us uh, why we ought to be praising God. And he lays out a case for that, a very clear case. And he begins just by that phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, really, uh, when, I, when I come to... Uh, 
church services or you know the organized what we call organized church services because hopefully there's some organization that's kind of gone into it we don't just come here and and throw it all together at the last minute you know and and just hope that it all lands right there's some thought and some prayer and some study and and a lot of preparation and there's many aspects of that not just from the pulpit here but in the sunday schools and uh the sunday school rooms and, and throughout the ministries in the week and many different things but ultimately everything that we do ought to be centered in the truth of the word of god and it ought to also bless the lord it ought to be pointed heavenward and that's what peter does here he stops and basically he stops there and he shows his heart okay first of all but he's also showing god's heart because god who's given him that living hope and he's passing that on and really i think of that when we come together it's hopefully a heart-to-heart session Uh, whether it's me up front here or someone else or someone teaching or someone singing or someone giving or whatever we are showing our heart to the lord and he reveals his heart to us and we ought to do it in a in a heart that doesn't waver but rather a heart that has faith and uh, we we've looked at this before but you know i i really think it makes a big difference because you need to if if you don't believe the message no one else will i can say that and one of the great things I have, uh, and it's a privilege, I count it a, a wonderful privilege, is that because of uh, my calling, the Lord has called me to preach the Word of God as a gospel, a minister of the gospel, and I get to study it regularly, you know? I don't always like to. I mean, you have to work, and there's other things I sometimes would rather do with my time, and I have to discipline myself to go back, but I'm always blessed by the Lord when He gives me His Word, and I really, in many ways, have to have to study it, because I know there's others that want to hear it too, but one of the great things is this, that the Bible gets to go through my heart first, all right, uh, when I come to a message. And sometimes I don't like what the Bible says. Sometimes it it reveals that my heart isn't right. And there's other things. I have to pause and just get myself right with the Lord. And, you know, I look at the uh, disciples and Peter in particular. Uh, Peter uh, had a change of heart. And we know that from his time recorded in the gospel accounts to the time after the resurrection until here in this book when he's writing and he's conveying his uh, thoughts i guess uh, again through the holy spirit as he has led him to uh, say these words and write these words to them and i think of that because really we need to if you don't believe the message others won't either you know and there's probably people that uh, proclaim the bible but down deep in their heart that really hasn't affected them I don't want to be like that. I've told the Lord before, I've said, Lord, if it ever comes to that where I, this becomes just an intellectual exercise, uh, take me away from this pulpit. Take me away from a position. And I say that because sometimes that can happen. And you become cold and callous to things. I don't want that to happen. And I just say that because it makes a difference. And yet, we will not do this perfectly. When you look at Peter and uh, he he begins identifying who's writing this and who it's right, written to and why and all that. But then he just turns right back and he says, Bless be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he just has to stop and say, Praise God, in, uh, in spite of everything else that goes on. You know, I think it makes a difference when 
You rest in the truth of the Word of God. And I say that because there are a lot of Christians today that run around and, and they're guided by their hearts as in their emotions more than the resting in the Word of God. Now, we are emotional people, every one of us, to some extent, some more than others, for sure. And that's God made us that way. And our emotions play a great deal of, of things in our life. But that's not the primary way we're led, just so you know that, or should be led. Some people are. Some people are like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling very, I feel that I should do this, or I feel that I should do that. And it comes back to the truth that is centered in that. It has to be centered in truth. Because the Bible says our heart, well, in and of itself, it's desperately wicked. And who can know it, right? And it's also a heart that sometimes leads us astray and can tell us to do something we shouldn't do. Even if we think, but it just felt right at the time. We live in a society today that is guided by all their choices, <laughs> based upon the way it feels for the moment and they make very poor choices sometimes and occasionally make a good choice and they say wow it must work but that's not the way we're to be guided as christians peter writes this and he starts with uh sort of an emotional experience here where he says bless be the lord and you can sense his heart cry as he points it back to heaven and then he brings it back to truth that is purposed and centered in jesus christ i think that's important because sometimes our emotions can get the best of us and we're, we're dead in the water, you know, those kind of things. I think of Corrie Ten Boone when she was um, traveling around. She was a, obviously a, a very, um, uh, well, a speaker that people wanted at various conferences. And she was, uh, if you don't know much about Corrie, I've used her as an illustration before, but she was a Holocaust survivor. Her family hid Jews there in Holland during uh, World War II and eventually were caught. And she ended up in a, in a prison camp and in Ravensbrück, and her sister died, matter of fact, died in her arms during that time. She had a terrible experience, but God used that in her life to shape the rest of her message, really, for the rest of her life, as she went out and pointed people to Jesus Christ. And, and yet, she herself said that sometimes um, she lacked faith, and she doubted, and she was afraid. And on one occasion in, in her book that she wrote there, um, I think it's called The Tramp for the Lord, and she writes in that book about an experience when she got on an airplane at one time. She traveled a lot by plane. And uh, as they were headed out, I think it was from Australia, if I remember correct, they were headed out and they experienced a mechanical problem with the plane and the pilot had to turn the plane around and they had to uh, execute an emergency landing. And in the process of this, it was quite some time, I can't remember the amount of time, maybe half hour or so, that they were in the air with this emergency ongoing. She realized that she had a whole plane full of people that probably didn't know the Lord, or many of them didn't know the Lord, and she could not find the strength because of the fear of the situation, because the pilot had told the crew, prepare for a crash, basically, and, and they're all thinking, maybe we're going to die, and she's the one that's ready to die, and yet she was so afraid and paralyzed that she could not come to speak that, and she felt terribly when the plane landed and they were safe. And they got off, and then she was sitting in the uh, terminal. And a man came up to her, and she was kind of beating herself up, saying, oh, why wouldn't I say something in people's distress? And this man came up to her. He was a, a Jewish man. And he looked at her, and he said, please tell me why you had such composure during that flight. And she had a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel with him and to point him to Jesus Christ. She said, thank you, Lord, for allowing me a second chance. Can I tell you something about Peter? Peter was a man of more than second chances. He was a man of many chances. 
This is the same apostle who he would say, I do not know the man. And he said it with cursing as he did it. And he remember when he denied the Lord Jesus and he denied him there as Christ was getting ready to be crucified. There are times that in our, our life cries out, we don't know the man. But then he turns around and he says, I'll give you a second chance if you'll let me. And you have Peter here. He is saying, bless the Lord. Bless our God. And he writes this wonderful letter encouraging other believers to do the same. Really what we're talking about here is, is um, truth that leads to this doxology of praise and and it also is centered, like I said, it's centered in truth. It has to be. If it isn't, then we're, we're just making noise. That's what Paul says. Remember in 1 Corinthians, he says that, right? Uh, and it's very possible that you can go to church and be very active in all kinds of things and, and call it worship, but it not be really true worship. And, and I, I say that because every aspect of why we meet together on a Sunday morning here um, is part of that worship to the Lord. We're ascribing worth to him just by showing up. You know, that's not the only thing you should do, but uh, that, but just coming together on a Sunday morning when you lost an hour overnight and you say, "Why would I want to get out of bed and go and see those people?" you know? Well, you know why? Cuz the Lord is the center of those people. <laughs> and yeah, our fellowship, our communion together, our daily uh, walk with him all that comes together and as we meet and we focus on him whether it be our song and our singing music is huge it is is part of worship it is it's not all worship but i've heard people say well that's the preliminary stuff you know and then i've heard people say well you know that's that's the preaching later and worship is done before you know what we get this mentality of compartmentalizing our worship everything we do should be of the lord and point to him everything our music our, our, I've been in, and I've been in, I was in a church service in Ecuador, you know, up in the high Andes of Ecuador, Quechua people that were there, believers. And they did a, and boy, you don't hold, you know, don't throw me out, but guess what they did? They came and they organized it. It wasn't something just came together. They, they did a dance. And they danced in a traditional dance, beautiful, not traditional as in pagan. They were well, you know, all modestly dressed. They didn't do anything sensual or anything like that, what we associate dancing with a lot of times. And they, they did this in uh, this church service, and uh, it was with a song, and it was just beautiful. And I came away going, praise God for that. Now, some places they would definitely throw you out doing that. What I mean by this is sometimes we think this is worship, that is worship, that is whatever. Everything you do should point to the glory of God and should be for his glory. And that's exactly why Peter writes this letter. And these are Christians that are going through all kinds of trials. They, they were groups of Christians, different areas. They were culturally separated. They were geographically separated. And yet they were facing these trials together and um, different various trials. But they were the same Lord overall. And he points them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be like that. And it should be centered in uh, worship in the sense. And I think of uh, when Jesus, remember the woman at the well, um, the woman at the well comes there and, and Jesus has this conversation with her and all that. And, and she, he talks about a time when they will neither be able to worship there or in the temple. And he comes and he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And you understand that 
To come to the Lord and to truly be in communion with him, we first and foremost have to be in tune with him in that way. And we need to be renewed in our spirit. And he is a spirit being. And yet, uh, we have to. so we worship him in spirit, but it has to be centered in truth. And there's a lot that is sometimes conducted in Christianity today. And all you need to do, don't do it, by the way, but I've done it, I guess I should say, is Google uh, wild church services, something like that. Google that. You will see all kinds of stuff. You will see people rolling down the aisle. You'll see people uh, jumping over pulpits. You'll see people throwing towels. You'll see people dunking themselves repeatedly in a, in a, in a baptismal tank and then getting out and shaking like a dog. And you say, and they call that worship. I call that weird. And most of the people call that weird. And I say that not to just make light of it, but we, we seem to think, if I can just drum up a little more hype, get a little more excitement, do a little bit more that makes it look weird, then somebody's going to be attracted to Christ. No. What attracts people to the Lord Jesus is the truth of His message and the fact that it resides in Him who is truth. And the Spirit of God draws us to Him. And my friends, that is what we try to do. And I have made it my mission in life, my own focus, as I I pray it often, as you know, I say, Lord, may you be lifted up in our lives, in our place here, because if he isn't, it will fail. And eventually you'll go find something better, something sounds better, something looks better, you know, because that's what the world does. It has all its bells and whistles and and attractions. I say that carefully, but you find here, all that coming out of this word blessed, (laughs) right? The doxology that he uses. But he he moves on and you say, well, why does this all matter? Because really, the word blessed or that it's attached to that is praise. Praise is filled through this whole book. And yet we find... um, uh, 1 Peter yeah, 1, 6. Uh, nope, I don't know where I put it, Sam. I was going to look at verse 6 there. But that our, they were going through trials. Thank you. In this you greatly what rejoice. It says greatly rejoice. Peter takes the blessings that he has, that he is centered in Christ, and he turns it right back to the people that are getting his letter and saying, in this you greatly rejoice. And that's, by the way, following the section of Scripture we're studying this morning. The, the doctrine that is taught there should lead to an emotional joy. All right? But it's a joy that's seated in truth, not just something that is, you know, for the moment that passes away. And look what he says. It's an interesting verse because it seems like there's a paradox there. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. How is it that you can be grieved and greatly rejoice? You know, that's you stop and you just have to ask that question. And you've grieved by various trials. And we went and talked about some of those trials last week that they were experiencing. And some of you, if I went around today and said, just tell me some of the trials, big trials you've been through in your life. And I'll tell you, we wouldn't have time to list all the trials and the, the, the troubles that each and every one of us has faced, some greater than others. But you know what? As a Christian, I can greatly rejoice because it's a little while. Heard somebody say that today, I think it was Brad this morning, he came in and said something. I read the end of the book, you know, and, and we win, don't we? Yeah, we read the end of the book. We win. Oh, I, I'm glad for that. I can greatly rejoice today in those things. 
Well, I better move on here a little bit. You say, well, why does it matter? And, and uh, it matters because He has begotten us to a lively hope or a begotten us again. As it says here in the ESV, it says, uh, having caused us to be born again. I think I have that verse in the ESV as well. If I can get there. There we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy and He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The word uh, begotten, it's that same word born again. Other English translations have it as such. And it means that you've been given new life. All right, And it's not just a new lease on life. I mean, people do that all the time. They, they go and you know get the... Uh, you know, whatever, a, a total makeover or something like that. And, and for a little while, it holds up and looks good until, until you know, another year passes and you got to do it again or whatever else. And eventually it all undoes or undoes or whatever you call it. You know, it, it's it. I mean, it, it fails. But not, not with the Lord. You see, he has, he has, if you're a believer in Christ, He has given you a new life that is eternal life. And He's actually been the cause of that. And that goes with the previous section. We talked about that. Uh, how that really the Lord is the one who has fathered us, literally. He is the one who has done it, not us, not someone else. And it's similar in, in a sense to our first, our physical birth. I, I had no choice over my physical birth or my, even my physical con- conception. It was not my decision, all right? Two other people decided that, all right? But um, I can say it this way, that when it comes to your salvation, you did not choose the sense of the, the method of way you'd be saved or how you'd be born again, all of that. But God was the cause of that. Yet he has you in mind in that. You have the word faith in this section, meaning trust and obedience. Obedience implies a will, all of those things. And we, we talked about that. But what I want to go with this is that there has to be a new birth, a, a new beginning. Uh, and that's what the Bible teaches uh, for us as well. Why is it that we can say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Because out of His abundant mercy, He's begotten us again. He has allowed us and caused us to be born again. That... Uh, you know, is an important, not only an important step, but a necessary step. You cannot be saved. You cannot have a place guaranteed in heaven and an inheritance that's incorruptible. That's the following verses. Um, unless you are begotten again or born again. And by the way, that, like I said, is a biblical term. It's a misunderstood term sometimes, but it is a biblical term. And it's important because you know, uh, where Peter goes with this, it's not just a calculation of uh, intellect. You know, somebody says, I'm saved based upon, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, or this, you know, that it was a transaction. There is certainly the knowledge of that has to happen. But it also is an experience. If I want to put it this way, if I asked you very simply, how do you know you were born here on earth? How do you know you were born? Uh, what's that? Well, that's a, that's a start, but you're always hungry. But anyways, uh, I, I, I go back to this. You know, Seriously, you say, well, I know I was born because I, I have a passport, and every time I cross the border, you know, it says where I was born, right there on that passport. I'm reminded of that. 
But how do you know that? Well, because I, I had a birth certificate and somebody signed that and says these are my parents. And, all. and we said, well, how do you really know that, that you were born? You know, well, because uh, I, I have a little, you know, chart with a footprint on it. And that little footprint was mine. It was really small. And now it's really big, you know. And, uh, but how do you really know you were born? You, you probably don't remember when you were born. But someone told you it. And, but the best evidence is alluded to what Chris says. The best evidence of the, the proof of how you know you were born is that, that right now you're alive, okay? <laughs> and that you're hungry. And that you, you know, get tired. And you live life and all its experiences based upon the fact that you're alive right now. Well, let's go to the new birth. It goes a little deeper than this. But how do you know that you are born again? Because you know you're made alive unto Christ. Yes, I, I understood, certainly, when I accepted Christ, I say accepted Christ, I, I, I made that transaction by faith back on May 8th of 1988. I remember a date, and I did, but not all people know the date they were saved. But they know they're alive. They know they've been born again. They know they have had an experience with Christ that has radically changed them. And I can tell you, on that very day, back in 1988, coming up on 30 years now, I will tell you, my, my conscience in itself was awakened to God in a way that I had never had in my whole life. There were weeks I would go through my daily schedule, everything, and I would not even think of the Lord. Think of God. Occasionally I would use His name, more than occasionally, very regularly I'd use His name in vain, but never really crossed my mind that I was doing anything wrong. And, and it did occasionally, I guess, because that somewhat is a whole other story. But, but I say that all of a sudden, uh, when I made that transaction by faith and said, Lord, I believe, I believe you can take my sin away. And you, you've, you've been raised from the dead. And I, I said a very simple prayer, asked the Lord to come into my life and live it for me. And he did. And I was born again. And I know because my life changed. All of a sudden, my the, the things that I was alive to before no longer intrigued me like they used to, you know. Now, I can't say that all sin and the sin nature is totally eradicated. It's not. But all of a sudden, those things I was engaged in and doing, I realized those are wrong. They hurt the Lord. And how did I know that? I hadn't even come across some of the Bible verses yet because His Spirit bore witness with my spirit that we are the children of God, right? That's what the Bible says. And you can know that. That's part of the new birth. So ultimately, the most powerful, I think, weapon in your toolbox of when you're telling people about Christ is your own testimony. You know, use the Bible because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Your testimony should be centered in the Lord Jesus. But you know what? You have a very powerful, powerful tool I say tool, it's more than the tool. It's the life-changing experience that takes place in Christ. And it's not all the same. I mean, everybody has a different um, somewhat experience in that, but it should be based upon His truth in that. Um, we experienced God's mercy in this. And that's why uh, it's not of us, okay? God is the one who's the cause of all this, and it is by grace that he saved us through faith okay you see grace that's god's part faith in the sense that man has to make a choice when he's that's given to him revealed to him as a gift of god but it's entirely god's gift there isn't one part of us that pl plays any part of our salvation in that way you can't earn it you couldn't do one thing in the sense of uh 
any good things, no good works. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, right? It's not by works that you're saved. It, it is not. Why? Because we would boast about it. We would. You know, we'd be like the elephant who came to the river and as he's crossing the river, you know, and he's swimming across a great big wide river, uh, there's a little ant that took residence up on his head and the ant says, wow, can't we swim, swim strong in this river, you know? And, and the ant thinks he's doing all the work, you know? And that's not the case. And, and even if we had that much, you know, that saved us, we would brag for all eternity. Oh, look what I did. Because that's the way we're built. But you can't boast except in the Lord and say, God, it's by your mercy and your grace that salvation is given to us and that we've been born again. Oh, what a wonderful truth. <clears throat> God fathered us. And I've mentioned that it's, it's him that did it. He's the one. It's not our own will, by the way. And I don't know, Sam, if I have that verse from First John or from uh, John one thirteen. I think it's coming up right here. Here we go. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That's from John's Gospel. You go to the next verse, and he says who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but what of God do you see to be born again you cannot will it on anybody it is God who does that it is God who initiates it It is God who completes it It is God who keeps it and but you know what we can be called the children of God and again that's that hope that he's given us as Peter puts it in that Oh, a lot there. Basically, how were you saved, you know? We can echo it this way. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I am found. Once I had no hope, but now I have a living hope. Once I was guilty, but now I am forgiven. Once I was an enemy, but God made me his friend. Once I was a rebel, but now I am a servant of the living God. And once I was dead, but now I am alive. And God did it. Mm. you know what excites me more than anything as a pastor is when someone on monday or even sometimes on sunday they'll they'll pull me aside or they'll send me a note or something and say god spoke to me through his word yesterday and you know i i love that i I, i'm glad now there are times that you know there's something else maybe you want to encourage somebody with but you know what that tells me is that his word is alive the Lord is alive and he's still in the business of changing lives. <laughs> and it excites me when someone, you know, gets a hold of a truth that maybe wasn't revealed to them before or they hadn't thought of in a while. And, and it just, it, it boils up in their heart. And that's the kind of really the way we are or we should be in that. Sometimes we sing the little chorus, you know, after communion, we sing, uh, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me, what? Thy great salvation so rich and free. That little song is very theologically correct and absolutely correct. And it should be that praise that flows out of our heart to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for that. Verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, he says, To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
Do you know if you're a born-again believer today that you have an inheritance? You have a great inheritance. As a matter of fact, you have the riches of Christ. The riches. He owns everything, by the way. And that's your inheritance. And you say, well, yeah, but i got to die to get it, right? No, well, guess what? Somebody's already died to give it to you. <laughs> and he's had victory over death. That's Christ. And the great thing about this is the inheritance he has is incorruptible. That's not the way it is here on earth. How many here have ever had to deal with a will, a disposal of a will, last will and test? Anybody, a few of you, or have had, you know, family that has had to do that? And has it always run smooth? <laughs> I don't know. No, this sister is upset because that brother got this and that grandchild over there said he was going to get this and that and then they fight over it and that's not really what grandma said in her will and that's not really what that person wanted and the way to settle it would be just it would be really nice to bring them back from the dead so they could settle it. Well, you know Jesus has done that. He died, the Bible says, because the testament, the testator is, first, for instance, the testament, or last will and testament, is to no effect unless the testator dies. He has to die first. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He suffered for sin on the cross. But the third day, he rose again from the dead, and that's why he gave gifts to man, it says, but he can guarantee an inheritance that's incorruptible. Not a person, not even Satan himself, is going to get a hold of it and get his little dirty fingers on it. Not at all. His inheritance is incorruptible because he's incorruptible. And because he ever lives to make intercession for us. Oh, what a wonderful truth. And it should lead us to a a freedom, a, a security. You know, thinking about that. You might not have much here in this life. You might have it all stripped away from you, even in this life. And eventually, through death, it is stripped away. I can't, nobody, you've, you've heard the old saying, you know, you never see a, a hearse going to the cemetery with a U-Haul behind it. You don't. I would love to do that just as a joke someday, you know, maybe at my funeral. Put a, put a no. Uh, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. A U-Haul is not going to follow you there uh, to heaven. And we have an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled. And it does not fade away. That's the one thing here. You know, even if you were to inherit a large sum of money, after a few generations, sometimes it's gone. Sometimes after that first generation, it's gone. It fades away. And if you last long enough, probably some invading army is going to come along and take it anyways. And that's the way human history has seen it. We think, oh, it must you know, be eternal here. No way. Look at your history of the world. Somebody gets it somewhere. And it's taken, but not in heaven. The Lord is in control of those things. And then he says in verse 5, I love this. He says, who are kept by the power of God. He's not just talking about the inheritance, but who. The who is the people. The who are the born again people. You are kept by the power of God. Based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he is alive we are also guaranteed eternal life. And it's all on Him. And I like that. You're kept by the power of God. Now I think of that because, you know, everything else is not, I don't care who you are. Again, if you're talking about your inheritance previous to that or salvation that is offered, because that's what he's talking about here is salvation. If it was dependent upon someone else to keep it other than the Lord, it would, it would miserably fail. I don't care if they're the best administrator 
or, or the most honest person you know, guess what? Something's going to come in there and it would be lost. And it's interesting because we kind of have this idea that, all right, I'm born again. Uh, I've placed my faith in Christ. You know, he, he's drawn me to himself that way. He's forgiven me of my sins. He's justified me. All those good biblical words that we've, we've talked about. But then somehow I've got to do my part to hold it. Like I've got to hold on to heaven somehow. Even if it's just a little bit. Somehow just hold on to heaven and make it. And yet that's not what it says here. You're kept by the power of God. And it says, through faith. Well, my faith, I mean, what if I don't have faith today? What if I just don't really believe today the way I did yesterday? Hmm. Some people would say that. Some people would say, well, you've lost your salvation because you lost faith. Well, that's, for the believer, it's not about that. And that's not what this verse is teaching here. And the scriptures are overwhelming on this, that we have an anchor for the soul. That anchor is Christ because he's resurrected. He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father, the place of honor. He is seated there. And because he keeps us, we have a place reserved for us in heaven because he's there. Whether I am afraid today or I doubt today or I have this dark cloud over me or whatever else, he keeps us saved. I think of that because in and of ourselves, we, we wouldn't be able to do it. There's no way we could do it. There are certain things in life that we rely on others for, and, and yet we see how that God is the one ultimately who is able to reach down and, and from his position, his elevated position, his resurrected position, his ascended position, and he's able to keep us saved and keep us safe. I think of that because there's been challenges in my life I've done before where I didn't feel very safe. I remember in basic training, we had this similar thing here. It was a tower. And we went to this confidence course kind of thing. It was really a test course. And, and after they make you do all kinds of physical things, they show you this great big tower and say, you all have to get up to the top of it. And, I, and you look around and go, where's the ladder? There is no ladder. So you have to go up there and, and they, they teach you how to to scale this thing as a squad or as a group and and you would go up and you'd get to the top and it, you had to be reliant on someone else and it was really a, 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 a real step of faith i'll tell you why because some of these guys that were uh, tasked to pull you up just a few weeks ago they they couldn't even uh, tell their left from their right you know uh in their marching and all that and now they're the ones that are going to lift you up or push you up as you get up over this thing and and I used to I remember doing that first time. And, and the first guy, of course, you'd come to the bottom and you'd have to reach up on the top one. And as you swung out, that's a leap right there, I'll tell you. You had to make sure you're holding on enough tight, but there isn't anything to hold on to other than a little lip. And you know what? They would push you up over. And so you'd land sort of up on your belly and then you'd be there to help the next guy. And they would kind of leapfrog as they go up this tower. And, and I, I thought of that it, it built confidence in the group in the sense that... Uh, it's amazing. One person could not scale that alone, not, not easily anyways, um, but as a group and by trusting someone else who knew what they were doing, you could get to the top. And yet, I'm sure there were people that have messed that up and failed. <laughs> I didn't want to be one of them, I can tell you that, and I made it. And I can say this, as I look back at that and I think, ultimately that's what God's done, but you know what? No man could help us. Only the Lord. And by his own death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, 
uh, proving who he really was, he's able to rescue us from our condition in our sin, which is dead, and also able to bring us to his place, which is heaven. And he's the one that's able to do that without fail. Kept by the power of God, not by the power of man. Hebrews 11, I end with these, these two verses. If you know the book of Hebrews, of course, um, you come to chapter 11, it's called the Hall of Faith. And it's, it's a whole list of people. Uh, you have, um, you go way back to Abel, and then you have Enoch, and Noah, and Moses, and, or Abraham, Sarah, Moses. You have the patriarch Jacob referred to there. You have all kinds of others, David, Samuel. Uh, you have these different people mentioned in that. But in the middle of that are these verses, and I love this, because if you look at all those people, by the way, they fell short, all right? None of them were able to get to the destination on their own. But they all looked ahead by faith. And it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. For all of us that are alive here today, I trust it's everybody, I hope so. I hope you haven't died here this morning. But I'll tell you something this. If you're sitting here this morning, you have not yet received the promises I'm talking about. You've received the promise, okay, it's there, but you have not actually been given it yet entirely you're you're saved from your sins and many aspects of the promise but the glorification part being in heaven part it hasn't come yet but look what it says here but having seen them afar off sometimes that's all we can do is look ahead and by faith we see them afar off and and as the days get longer or shorter for us or whatever we say those days that's not so far off now it's coming along they were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Well, it sounds a lot like what Peter said in his opening verses. We're just strangers here. And the longer I, I live here, the stranger it gets, and the more I'm a stranger. And it's going to feel that way all along because this isn't our home. And that's what it says here. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. You see, the great thing about what we're talking about here this morning out of 1 Peter and out of book of Hebrews and all the other verses is this, that as we face trials and as we you know, can bless the Lord in the midst of all those, we are plainly declaring that we're still seeking a homeland. And that homeland is, is going to be faith, our sight someday when our faith is made sight. That's yet future. But it's going to be a wonderful time. And until then, bless the Lord God. Bless the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And make sure that you're worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Word of God this morning. I ask You would continue just to use it in our lives. And Lord, may we truly bear record of the wonderful things You're doing in our life because of the resurrected Christ. He is alive today. And we look to Him even this morning. As we continue in our worship time now and we close in song, in Jesus' name, amen.